Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. You can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how are we doing? Yo, freezing. <laughs> I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Uh, did you check Monday's weather? I haven't checked Monday, no. I've just been trying to get through the, these past couple days. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, what do you think the low on Monday is? Oh, God. We live up in the uh, Metroplex, by the way, just for, just yeah, for perspective. Yeah, I'd say 30. <laughs> you got oh, a no. digit right. You got oh, a digit no. right. What is it? Three degrees. Oh my god. Three. I again. What? Hopefully it won't hit. But like, what? Oh my god. I. That makes no sense. I. I don't I'm understand so weather. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I thought that we lived in Texas. Right. So that meant that it was hot all the time. We just you know <sighs> ride our horses to the store in the sun. Right. Right. Like right. that's what I thought. But I'm upset. <laughs> the high is 18 degrees. <laughs> um, and you know, the good news potentially, maybe I don't know. I, I don't even know at this point because just <laughs> nothing's fun anymore. But like it is maybe going to snow. There's like a 60% chance. Okay. Uh, so you know, at least there's that. Sure. Well, um, I mean, you know, you know, uh how hey, hey what well, here's this for a segue, right? How's this for a segue? <laughs> With a bunch of teams in this state playing offense is like they run in the big 10 why don't we just adopt their weather <laughs> not bad not bad well everybody we are going to go back through the 2020 season we're going to pick some of our disappointments and then also some of our uh some of the, the teams that really surprised us and, and did great things and we are going to start with the disappointments and like ish said i don't think that you can start with anything more disappointing in the, st- the state this past year then how mediocre these offenses were. But all of them, all of them are but. Like, obviously, you know, maybe at the very top, you're, you're talking exceptions, A&M, SMU, sure. UTSA, obviously, you know, those teams played. Very I'll good even offense. say the, the upside of Texas too, right? When yeah. Texas was good, they were a good offense, like, you right. know, top legitimately 15, probably 10 offense when they were good. Um, but yeah, for the most part, outs- when you get outside of that, like the middle and the bottom, not fun not fun to watch the funny thing right is that i'm going to take us to north texas first right because north texas a team that's played great offense for years and years at this point uh at one point was actually one of the the nation's leaders in offense and probably finished in like the top 15 right but Mm -hmm. watch this offense week in and week out and they were not good they were not good and that's the funny thing about it is that you look at the quarterback play that was happening in north texas this past year it is unbelievable that Jalen Darden had the stats that he had. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's you look at the, you look at the quarterback play and I guess we, we kind of thought that, you know, Seth Latrell taking over play calling would, would fix that. But the fact that they couldn't settle on anyone, um, the fact that they're really bringing in uh, names to kind of uh, help solve that issue next year shows a lot. Um you could even just keep going down the list. Like I think I'm looking at uh, even UTSA, who I think we, you know, was a legitimately surprising team, only 94th in offensive SP plus. Right. Uh, Rice, 
124th in SP plus offensively. Again, that's a short sample size, but still. Uh, Texas State, 95th. North Texas, 83rd. Like these are this uh, UTEP, obviously near the bottom, 123. Like <laughs> these are legit. These were legitimately bad offenses this year. And again, even 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 SMU, who we we thought was good, and they were good, right? But they're still only 24th. Right. right. It wasn't like they weren't lighting the field on fire. And again, they, you know, they, they lost obviously key playmakers, TJ McDaniel, Rushy Rice. Um, uh, so like, obviously they, that hint that helped, that hurt things a lot, but I mean, I could keep going Baylor tech. Like you, you know, it's, we could just keep rattling off these offenses that were either mediocre or just flat out bad. And the disappointing thing is, you know, I don't know which one of these takes a big step forward next year um some of them might step take a step forward to being from from bad to decent right i think i don't think it's that big of a stretch to say like baylor's not going to be catastrophically bad next year right um i don't think it's uh, out of the realm of possibility to think that texas state could be good next year um you know i think tech maybe could be you know could be a fraction better but i just don't see where the the explosive offense comes from next right. year and I, I think they're AM's naturally going to take a step back because they're replacing kellen mond and they have to groom a new quarterback and jimbo's offenses aren't explosive in the first place but yeah it, it's it, it's gonna i think it's gonna be at least another year of just kind of finding out where a lot of these teams are going offensively yeah and i think that one thing that i'd point to and not not to make it all about this but I think the quarterback situations at so many of these schools, you sure. really look at, and not all of it was the fault of, of just play, right? Obviously, you had a situation at Texas State where uh, Brady McBride should have been the guy for all 12 games, and mm-hmm. because of the COVID situation, because of injuries, he wasn't there all the time. But uh, same deal with, with like North Texas, right? North Texas was going back and forth between quarterbacks, and the answer was both of them weren't good, right? And <laughs> Um, and even out of the guys who who kind of did start for a whole year, I mean, obviously, uh, Charlie Brewer's moved on from Baylor, but he really struggled. Uh, Clayton Toon, you know, and he wasn't bad, but he didn't take kind of a step that we expected him to take with as much talent as he had around him. And so for so much of the season, it really did feel like these offenses were unwatchable. And I do want to say, I, I also think that, you know, and this was something I said a little bit last year. I do think that part of the issue is that in this state, this state was the, you know, ground zero of the new offensive movement, right? Mm-hmm. Where you had Mike Leach come in, you had the air raid come in, and all of a sudden everybody had these dynamic offenses. So I also think that this state has the advantage of, you know, 20 years basically of, of a head start and trying to stop these kind of offenses. Mm-hmm. I do think that plays a role, but at the same time, it wasn't just defense that was making Baylor's offense as bad as it was. It wasn't right. just defense that, you know, made Texas Tech's offense so inefficient. It, it was just everything top to bottom. Yeah. I, and I think like, I think some of the scheme choices as well were just didn't work. Right. We saw that with Baylor with, you know, just cutting ties with Larry Fedora and saying this didn't work right in concept on paper, it's made, made a lot of sense, but it wasn't working. Um, and I think a lot of that can go to offensive line play as well. Um, in general, I think that you're looking at a lot of 
a dearth of offensive line talent as far as staying in state, right? A yeah. lot of the elite, we talked about that last week, right? A lot of the elite Texas, talent isn't right. staying here, right? Um, and so you kind of have one outlier example, which we'll get to in, the, in, in later on with AM. But outside of them, like you have a lot of mediocre offensive line play. And guess what? If you can't protect the quarterback, it doesn't matter how good the quarterback is, right? Uh, it doesn't matter how, how talented he might be. If he has no time to throw, that's going to hinder his development. That's going to hinder the offense entirely. Um, and yeah, and then going back to the schematic thing, like, you know, we saw tech tech made a change on offense. It's like, okay, we're going to get back to what we, what we, what traditionally got us here. Right. We're going to go back to the air raid. Um, uh, TCU is going to try and maybe work some things in, but for the most part, you know, they're sticking with what they've had going under Gary Patterson for the past couple of years. Um, you know, even though it might not be working, but we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a bunch of different factors. Obviously it starts with quarterback play, but you can look at the surrounding factors around that. Um, and it, it's, it's had an impact on that quarterback play. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No question. No question. And I think that's a great transition into our next disappointment. And to me, I don't think that there was a team that was more disappointing in the whole state than Baylor was this year. We we knew that there was going to be a step back, right? Yeah. Just there, I mean, they went eleven and one in twenty nineteen. Mm. They weren't going to do that again. Um, but you know, the the conventional logic was, well, they lost nine starters on defense and bring back most of their offense, other than Denzel Mims. Uh, you know, we we thought, okay, they're just going to kind of regress and be average. Mm. But instead, we had this bizarre world situation where. Baylor's defense was actually pretty good for the whole season. And the offense was, I mean, I'm trying to think, what when's the last time that a non-Kansas Big 12 offense was playing like that? Uh, Rules first year. (laughs) (laughs) Probably when he was working with like non-FBS players, basically. Right, right. It was bizarre. And obviously, like you mentioned, uh, Baylor decided to part ways with three members of their offensive staff, uh, and, and they brought in three guys who I really like in Jeff Grimes as offensive coordinator, uh, offensive coordinator, excuse me, Eric Mateos as offensive line coach. Those two partnered up at BYU to produce really uh, outside of Alabama, probably the best offense in America. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in Chancey Stuckey, a former NFL wide receiver who was a, I want to say a grad assistant at Clemson to be wide receivers coach. So kind of taking a chance there. Uh, but I mean, it's just, I don't think that anybody, anybody could have predicted how bad Baylor would be in 2020. I, yeah, I had, I had no clue. Um, because you mentioned like, you know, when, when the Larry Fedora hire was announced, it was like, Oh, okay. I like this. Right. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. he checked all the boxes of a coordinator who ran an offense that would, uh, that would translate well with Charlie Brewer's skill set. Um, it was a positive step because, you know, a lot of people were at, just had general questions about what a Dave Aranda offense would look like, right. Of uh, him being a defensive coordinator. Um, and yeah, like you said, like that was the talent that returned to the team, but right. <laughs> I just, I mean, one, it might say something to his defensive prowess that the defense was as good as it was, um, Definitely. that it showed that, okay, well, hell they, they got that, they got that side of the ball fixed when he's there, but yeah, this I think you wrote about it in your in one of your postmortem pieces. 
I think they were one eighteenth in total yards in yard or average yards. I think and one yeah, hundredth yeah. in scoring. Um, they were. I'm looking at it right now. They were ninety uh, first in SP plus offensively, and forty second in defensive SP plus. Again, they returned most of the offense from last year. <laughs> like yeah, that was yeah. a lot of. Again, Denzel Mims obviously is a big outlier. You know, obviously you missed a guy like that, but you basically returned most of the guys you that that got you where you were last year um and the fact that it still wasn't a good offense last year and they still scrapped their way to you know the season that they had so it was like okay if they could just get if even if they just replicated last year's offense to some extent right right it was been like okay there's five six wins they couldn't it regressed somehow it regressed and of course if with the defense not being as elite as it was last year like okay then that that takes a little bit more off that and so you just it was just an absolutely just catastrophic failure um for a program that was just riding so high and i'm looking at the football outsider numbers right now um in terms of offensive line yards uh according to their metrics they were 123rd and standard line yards, standard down line yards, which is the the yardage your offensive line is uh, 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 responsible for or responsible for generating right. 123rd again. Um, when it comes to passing down line yards, which is the yards they're responsible for on passing downs, you know, third long, things of that situation, 92nd. Yeah. They, they it was just, it was horrendous. And yeah. granted, now, hopefully, uh, Aranda saw that and he made the hire uh, with Grimes as OC. He brought in somebody like Eric Mateos, who, you know, even dating back to Texas State, where his first offensive line coaching job was. Um, he really knows his stuff. Like he is, you mentioned Alabama, BYU, not even their offense, their offensive line in particular. Like yep. you have yep. to look at Alabama and maybe Oregon. And that is the only other offensive lines that put up the same production as they did last year mm. uh, or this past year, I should say. Um, so Aranda saw the problem and he's fixing it, right? And at least with through how he can fix it on the staff. Um, I was a big fan of Mateos's hire, probably more than Grimes, just because I think that he's somebody who can make an instant impact. Um, even if even if they don't have elite talent right away to be able to impose their will like BYU did this past year, I think he's somebody who are, and this happened at Texas State where you saw different things happening on the offensive line that you're like, okay, that could work and give him better players and that can work even better down the line. I think that the thing that is interesting and, and speaking to some, some people around that program at Baylor, uh, it sounded like one of the big issues was that, you know, and, and this kind of doesn't surprise me being a Dave Randa team and, you know, obviously him being such a, such a football mind, but hmm. was that offensively they wanted to try too many things that they sure, threw yeah. a lot at them. And, you know, from a blocking perspective, uh, you know, Matt rule really simplified those blocking scenes. They ran a lot of just basic zone, right? Like yeah. they didn't, they didn't do anything too crazy complicated when, when he was there and kind of that just allowed them to rely on their, on their physicality and skill set, which was good enough, right? Not, not awesome, but good enough. Mm-hmm. And last year, you know, it felt like you really tried to see this giant marriage of, you know, Larry Fedora's spread concepts with, with obviously George Munoz's uh, downfield passing, like they had at LSU the year before. And it was just a lot of stuff that they, it turned out they couldn't do. Right. (laughs) And, um, and obviously I do think that, especially with Baylor, you really saw not having a, 
spring camp really, really, really screw them. Yeah. And so now, like you mentioned, you bring in, you bring in Eric Mateos, who I think is a great hire. Like you mentioned, uh, Jeff Grimes also has an offensive line background, right? So mm-hmm. you're kind of doubling down on the idea of improving your offensive line. And you mentioned this Baylor has not been a player in this state for the elite offensive linemen. You know, obviously we mentioned Texas last week, uh, A&M has been really the one team that's been able to keep those guys. Um, but Baylor has not been one of those teams. I, I think that they've got some guys in this class that we really like over at Dave Campbell's, you know, Tate mm-hmm. Williams is one that, uh, that I know that Greg Powers has been talking up for a long time at this point. Right. Um, you know, and Connor Heffernan from Georgetown, right. Another kid who we've heard a lot about, but you know, this, this is kind of their, their chance to go in and get in the door with some of these high level offensive linemen and say, look, we created a, I, I can't remember the kid's name at BYU, but I think it's Braden Christensen or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the hugely standout offensive lineman. Who's going to be like a first or second round pick. Right. We yeah. did that Aaron at Brewer BYU. right now with the Titans, Aaron Brewer right. at the Titans, when he was at Texas state, he credited Eric Mateos with a lot changing a lot of his game um, yeah. to make him a more polished blocker and, and diverse blocker too. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it. It's also, I, I'm really fascinated by the way that they've uh, done this sort of staff allocation because you mm-hmm. almost always see, uh, you almost always see the quarterback's coach is the offensive coordinator, right? Right, right, yeah. But now you're in a situation where you have Jeff Grimes, who's actually the tight ends coach and offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Now, I would imagine that that just sort of also means that he's going to try to be involved in everything, right? Like, sure. I, I assume that that's more it's hard, the off the tight ends coach, I, I was listening to a, um, I forgot where I was listening to it, but I was listening to somebody talk about Arthur Smith, who just got hired for the, mm-hmm. the Falcons mm-hmm. job. And obviously he came up as a tight ends coach. Right. And they made a good point about how like tight ends, tight ends coaches are, are an underrated pipeline for offensive yeah. coordinators because they have to know, tight ends coaches have to know everything about everything. everything. Right. They have, they have to everything. know the spacing. They have to know the run blocking, pass blocking, pass routes, the pass tree, the route tree. They have to know uh, little bits of everything in the offense. And so that's why you see somebody like Arthur Smith and now Todd Downing, who was the new Titans coordinator, uh, was the former off, was the former Titans coach as well. That's an interesting pipeline to see. And so it would it it's it's interesting, but it's not surprising that Grimes would look at that and say, here's where I kind of want my focus to be, um, because you have to have your hands in everything if you're going to run that position. And I actually I actually think that tight end might be underratedly the biggest sort of future mismatch heading forward, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of mm-hmm. think that this is going to be where the innovation is most. Uh, I, I think that we've seen this a lot actually with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. They use tight ends and H backs in such creative ways. And that's actually how they create a lot of their mismatches is, you know, we're going to take Austin Stogner and put him in the backfield. Right. And mm-hmm. then run routes out of that. Right. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, it's really interesting to me to see, a coach and Jeff Grimes kind of take that role on because Baylor has some guys who it, it feels like they haven't been used the best at tight end, like some really sure. talented guys, but um, you know, Ben Sims was, was a guy who stepped up this year. Uh, we've seen Christoph Henley do stuff, uh, you know, and actually the funny thing was before rule left, they actually added Kenny Yaboya as a grad transfer from Temple. Mm-hmm. He ended up uh, flipping after the staff left and went to Ole Miss and ended up being like one of the best tight ends in the country, right? So, 
it does seem like this is a this is a staff also that wants to get the most out of that position. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how they end up doing things. So anyway, this is not a Baylor podcast. We can go ahead and move on. <laughs> Speaking of bad offensive lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Texas. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I'm trying to figure they're, they're one let's get that out of the way they're not as bad as Baylor's offensive line right <laughs> Baylor was no. like legitimately one of the worst in the nation like regardless right. of power five group of five that's what we're talking about with Baylor right. Texas was just frustratingly average on right. the offensive line and the reason why I say frustratingly average is because you have a future top 20-ish probably 15-ish offensive lineman on your team Right. Right. Probably the second or third offensive uh, tackle coming off the board. And you have nothing else around him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm looking at PFF's grades right now. So they graded Sam Cosme as the ninth best tackle this past year. Yeah. Right. Do you want to know where Christian Jones (laughs) ranked? Was he second? 152nd. Oh, I meant second the on nation. their line. On their line. In their na- in the nation. Yeah. Sorry, this is in the nation. 152nd in, is the, the in as far as starting tackles goes. I'm looking at guards right now. Let's see. Control F Texas guards. Hmm. Let me expand this list a little bit. <laughs> so uh Junior Angelo was 49th. Yep. In yep. the nation. Yeah. Uh yeah, not great. Uh next one. Yep, can't expand the list anymore. Uh, <laughs> let's just put it that way. They were they weren't great. Sam Cosme right. was really holding that offensive line together. Right. Looking at their uh, pro football focus, uh, their sack rate on passing downs, eighty second in the nation. Whew. Sam Ellinger almost got sacked ten percent of the time on passing downs. Wow. They had a let me see here's the one that really stood out to me their power success rate which is basically short yarded situations where they need to make a play right third right. short goal line things of those situations they were 104th wow <laughs> they not punch the ball into short yarded situations and again that probably it's probably only that high because sam cosme was good right it, 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 we talked about it last week right where it was like it might it was a microcosm and a summary of where the Tom Herman era went wrong. And I think that you don't, you know, looking at the recruiting trail, but even just looking at their play last season, they had, they had an NFL caliber franchise left tackle and they had just a mediocre offensive line around them. It, it slowed the offense down an offense that was able to keep up with LSU the year before. Um, it really just created the frustrating moments for a team that should have been striving for more. And that was kind of the overall, you know, theme of last year was just mixed, missed expectations and, and, you know, um, just frustrations. And I think it can be boiled down to what they had up front and it wasn't much. Yeah. And I, I did find, uh, I did find that, um, that Denzel Okafor, I think it was Denzel Okafor. He was number 118 on the list. So okay, that's that. <laughs> that's where you're at. You know, like that's right. it's just it's just shocking. You know, um, I, I do have to mention too that, and and this is this is the one one of the type of thing that's really shocked me. Just going back to Baylor is that uh, Xavier Newman was like bottom twenty on the mm. list in terms of guards, and he was a good player the year before yeah. that. 
that's the thing that's confusing, right? But um, yeah, I know when, when you really look at this Texas line, right? Because they returned a lot too. Most of the guys mm-hmm. who played for them last year had started for them in some capacity. And you don't you don't feel like this scheme was like worse for them, right? Like this should have been sure. potentially a, a more offensive line friendly scheme, getting the ball out quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh the one thing that I'll say is obviously they did throw downfield more than they had before. And so, you know, that is, that does take a little bit more time, but this shouldn't have been harder, right? This shouldn't have been worse. And it really is kind of hard to understand why that ended up being the case. Yeah. And I was I'm looking at the preseason expectations. It looked like PFF roughly graded them around 25, top 25 in terms of offensive line returning production. Um, mm-hmm. And they ranked basically 40 to 50 in that range um obviously i talked about the two outlier stats being near the bottom but even you know even if you don't consider those they were it was just a middling offensive line that was buoyed by having a really good left tackle um and he'll do that right that's why he's going to be a first round pick and you know like i said the third second or third tackle off the board but it's it's unacceptable to me that you know, and again, we'll talk about AM. We're teasing them a lot, but how one program, how one flagship program can have such a dominant force up front, and the other one basically just shrugs and you say, ah, I don't know. <laughs> right. And, you know, it has to obviously be said that when they hired Tom Herman, the whole hope was mm-hmm. that they could come in and run this national championship offense. Right. And, yeah. and, I think that just in general, you know, because obviously the offensive line deserves a lot of blame here. It never feels like they figured out what they want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it never felt like they figured out what they're, you know, we hear, we do hear so much about like identity and stuff, but it is a real thing, right? If you don't know what you want to do, I, I think that that kind of shows through in the product. And I don't think that Texas ever became great at something. I, I don't think that we ever sort of knew that when Texas took the field, they were going to be able to create this mismatch. It, it almost felt like, it almost felt like, uh, like Texas every single week they took the field was almost just playing like they were playing underdog ball almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering like, because it wasn't like Herman wasn't trying to fix this, right? He brought in Herb Hand in 2018, right? It was, he was like, let's make this offense better. Let's get, let's build from the offensive line. Um, Derek Warheim wasn't a bad hire when he first came in, right? As offensive line coach in 2017, I think. Um, And so he wasn't like, he didn't realize that this was an issue and that the development was an issue, but for some reason it just never manifested. And now like, you know, you're kind of hoping like, okay, here, this is the big, to me, this is the biggest test. You know, people can talk about quarterback and all that, but I think this is the biggest test for Steve Sarkeesian coming in. And granted you have, Kyle Flood, who's a pretty damn good hire to fix this, <laughs> to fix the offensive line um, and hopefully recruit some elite talent and, and eventually, you know, develop them. But this is the big test. And this is going to be how arguably is going to be what makes or breaks his uh, tenure here. Because the reason why Mac Jones, of all people, was able to put up Joe Burrow numbers was because nobody had to see him running for his life ever because he's slow as molasses <laughs> and he could nice. just sit back there and throw deep balls to Devonte Smith. Like that's how that offense was so deadly was that it was arguably the best offensive line they've had since 2012. Like 
it shows how offensive line literally makes or breaks a season. The fact that Sam Ellinger is running for his life and people are questioning, oh, is he good anymore? Versus Mac Jones, you can just sit back and have a cup of tea and, you know, gunsling for 5,000 yards. Right, right. Well, that's enough depressing talk. Let's go ahead and move on to the biggest surprises of the year. Yeah. And I don't think that you can start this conversation any other way than with UTSA. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 can you say that we haven't said man like no spring um somehow he put together the best class in Cusa despite like not having the camp circuit you know because of covid and not having like traditional just uh, strategies and and just scouting they come together slap in like fall and slap together this offense <laughs> and they're fun as hell. Like the offense, don't get me wrong. The offense wasn't exactly beautiful or great at times. It was pretty ugly, but it was never boring. Right. And partially that's because obviously you have sincere McCormick, but also they just knew how to use their guys. They knew how to, they knew that if Frank Harris was in, they're not going to throw 40 times a game. Like, you know, they knew that when they, even when they had somebody like Noel Lowell Narcisse, who, isn't the best thrower they feel more comfortable throwing the ball downfield a little bit more um and they were able to use that defensively they made plays when they needed to they were a lot of fun they just it was like to me this was one of the biggest endorsements of just having it's not even like an x's and o's versus a culture guy it's just having a guy who knows football and who knows like what works what doesn't somebody who's not egotistical enough to say like no this is what this is what i believe and this is what's gonna work and this is what we're gonna stick with because weekly they were changing so much the right. only through the only through line that stayed with them was that hey sincere mccormick's gonna get the ball <laughs> that is it everything else changed around that seemingly weekly yeah and, and i think that for me i knew that jeff trailer was gonna come in he's gonna get people excited and you know, the, the fact that he got the number one class in conference USA doesn't surprise me that much. I mean, number one, right. I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal, right? Sure. Uh, but, it but it was also something Frank Wilson did, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, that was, that was something that didn't surprise me. But I thought that that's when it would pay off, would be like two <laughs> years down the road when, <laughs> when it's like, okay, we got Eddie Lee Marburger. Nobody thought that getting him would be a good idea except for us. And yeah. it turns out it's a great idea, right? That's when I thought it was going to pay off. What I think surprised me, and I think that this is a testament, of course, to Jeff Trailer, but also to the different types of staffers that he brought in, was how quickly the entire coaching staff managed to sort of put together cohesive X and O's game plans. Cause like you mentioned, it wasn't the same every week, you know, they would, they would be a lot more pass heavy against certain teams. They would be more run heavy against certain teams. They'd run option if they needed to. And defensively, mm -hmm. you know, by the end of the year, Tyrone Nix wasn't with the program, yeah. but they had guys step up and, take over that responsibility and you would have never known the difference. Right. I, I think, you know, for me heading into the year, that was something that I was really curious about was, you know, on offense, especially I'll speak more to is you were in a situation where you hired guys with backgrounds in pro style, in spread, in air raid, in, you know, the veer, right. Like you had mm -hmm. everything. And I would, I mean, again, we're not in those rooms. I don't know. But I would love 
to know. I mean, I, I imagine that those rooms must have just been so collaborative, right? Like no bad yeah. ideas sort of thing. And I think that really showed out on the field. You know, we, we had kind of gone through and, and I mean this again, as I say every time in the best way possible, but this was such a high school football staff in terms of they just figured out what they could do. And they said, we're going to make it the best that we can make it. We're mm-hmm. not going to try to say we got to run under center. We, we got Frank Harris, but we're going to run under center and we're going to go three yards in a cloud of dust, right? Like right. they didn't come in with any preconceived notions. Even, even Tyrone Nix, who has been around a little longer, he came in and said, you know what? I need to identify the guys that can, that are big playmakers on this defense. And, you know, they saw Jalen Haynes. So they ran a, an odd front, right? Like mm-hmm. they never, they never kind of came in and went with this idea of what they should be. And I think that. Look, by the end of the year, they were they were playing as well as any team in the state. And I really am sad that we didn't get a chance to watch UTSA play against SMU. Yeah, I know, right? I think I do have a question because when the more you talk about that and the more you talk about kind of the, you know, the collaborative process and just kind of the natural fluidity that they just operated with, do you think the fact that they didn't have spring played into that? And I'm not saying that they're, you know, things are going to change and, you know, when they, when they do have spring camp and, you know, we're going to see a totally different team, but in, in a lot of ways, like how much of that do you think was, you know, them just kind of relying on a lot of instinct, right? They didn't have a lot of time to put in a, a, their system before they had to do live shots, you know, put them in live <laughs> fire. Um, and so I'm like, I don't want to say it was because they had no camp that they were this successful, but it was like, I wonder if like a lot of it was just like, you know, a lot of thinking on your toes as far as like adjustments, because, you know, this, what they didn't have three, you know, three months of film and, and watching X, Y, and Z and watching how concepts should be run and how this scheme should be, you know, drilled into their head. And, you know, but it was clear they had some game plan, but I wonder, I, I do wonder how much of it was a bunch of good coaches thinking on the fly to be like, how do we get this team as quickly as possible into the best positions? I, I think it's a great question. And, you know, I, I'll go back to when I talked to Jeff Trailer back during the season about Sincere McCormick. I asked him, mm-hmm. when did you know that this guy was going to be like this, <laughs> right? That he was going to have a <laughs> chance to be, you know, to us, the player of the year in the States. Yeah. And his answer was, I literally had no idea <laughs> until we put him in the game against Texas State and kept handing him the ball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they didn't know. Right. <laughs> Like, think about it. Going into that game against Texas State where he carried the ball, I think, like 35 times and had mm-hmm. 199 yards and two touchdowns or something like that, uh, they didn't even go in thinking, we are definitely going to do this, right? right? And so I think that there definitely is something to the idea that they didn't have time to overthink it. And, yeah. you know, again, not, not, not to kind of throw shade, but, you know, I do point, on the other hand, to a, a team like Baylor where – They were like, this is how we want to do things on offense, especially. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, we didn't have a whole ton of time to figure out the best way to do it. So we're just going to tell them to do it and hope that they do it. Right. Right. And, you know, and and I do think obviously that's a strategy in general that if you're going to do it, it's going to take more time naturally because you are hoping that your players adjust to you instead of the other way around. But I think that especially at a school like UTSA, you know, that's struggled, that's looking for an opportunity to win that, you know, and, and has a really young coaching staff that's all excited to, to do something together. Uh, I think that we just saw 
how much that holistic team culture uh, that went from the players to the coaching staff. I, I think that we were just, I, I think we saw the results and mm-hmm. it ended up being obviously this, this one, I think they finished seven and five, right. But uh, yeah. had a tremendous time in uh, in conference play, had a chance to potentially go to the conference or say championship game, if not for some cancellations, like, I mean, look, and now they, they bring back basically everybody next year. So we get to see it all over again. I know that that's the one thing I'm really interested in because I, I am interested in seeing what UTSA with a spring camp looks like, right? Because there were some times we talked about the, kind of the, the malleability of the offense, depending on who was behind center and things like that. But even when, even when things were consistent behind center, right, there were random games where they would have Frank Harris throw for 30, you know, 30, 35 times. And it was like, wait, where did this come, where'd this come from? And then the next week he'd run 25 times and it'd be like, okay, what I'm, I'm really curious to see what their legitimate plan A is when they have, you know, two months or however long of spring and then a fall camp to reinforce that. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what they come up with. Yeah. Well, let's go from one offensive line in Texas that really underachieved to Texas A&M. So here's oh the deal God. with Texas A&M, right? Yeah. They returned four out of five starters i want to say i, I think that they mm-hmm. oh, and, and actually their center uh i think that ryan mccallum was hurt a lot of last year so he would have been their starting center so they effectively returned all five starters yeah but this wasn't a unit last year that was very good so mm-hmm. you know we thought coming into the year yeah they'd have a chance to be better yeah they'd have a chance to maybe be decent and obviously i think mm-hmm. that they, <laughs> they they showed up and I mean, just so much credit to, to Josh Henson, their offensive line coach, because they ended up becoming, at the end of the day, I think one of the best lines in the entire country. 100%. And I mentioned, the key stat I mentioned was for Texas was sack rate and um, passing down sack rate. Hmm. Do you want to know AM's rankings on passing down sack rate? <laughs> Let's go for it. They were third. <laughs> Kellen Mond was sacked. 0.7% of the times on passing downs. <laughs> that is insane. I'm going to do a filter right now to see if they're, let me see if I can get this adjusted. Not even, that was better than Alabama. <laughs> That's better than BYU. <laughs> like, man, they were absurdly good. Even on standard down sack rate, they were 17th. Like, again, better than BYU, better than Alabama. <laughs> like, they didn't. Kellen, that was part of why Kellen Mond, you know, we saw what we did from Kellen Mond this year. He didn't have a lot of, he, he did, he had time to throw and he had time to not overthink things and, you know, make mistakes. Um, obviously the run game was just sensational this year. It starts up front. It, I could not believe how imposing they were. And again, this year watching them, they were only really eclipsed by the elite of the elite um, at that, at that position. And it really, to me, it really sets up what Jimbo hopes to build there. When you have, you haven't even really had your elite talent kick in yet there. Mm. <laughs> and you bring in all your, you bring in even more elite talent from this recruiting class. So now you have an upperclassman, Kenyon Green, working things. And it's like, okay, cool. There's your anchor. <laughs> and guess what? He was the guy that was supposed to be, you know, uh, the green kid two years ago. And I'm in green, like actually like unexperienced, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, but then he establishes himself as one of the premier starters in the nation. 
And now it's like, oh, cool. Now you have junior Kenyon Green <laughs> anchoring your offensive line. Build around that. And damn it, they, they have the talent too. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and yeah, you did mention, right? Kenyon Green was the one sort of elite recruit starting on this line. And, mm-hmm. you know, several of the guys were four stars, but there were a couple of three stars in that line too, right? This wasn't mm-hmm. a unit with sure things. And mm-hmm. I actually think that one of the most encouraging things you can say about this whole process, right, is that you look back at sort of the downfall of Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. Mm-hmm. It really started with the line, right? They just started yeah. missing on guys and they started not developing guys. And, you know, I think that even if you think back to Kevin Sumlin a little bit, I, I think that under Jim Turner, things didn't go very well. But now you have a situation with uh, with Jimbo Fisher where he's hired Josh Henson. And I think that Henson has done a tremendous job the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, now with recruiting, he's done a really great job, too. I mean, I let me pull up their, their commit list. But, you know, they've got a kid like Bryce Foster coming in who's going to mm-hmm. be a big, big, big time player in a couple of years. Uh, again, they were kind of the one team from this recruiting cycle where you have this this super super good offensive line class that uh, that actually managed to to at least some extent take advantage of it yeah you've got bryce foster coming in who was the number 65 player in the country uh per two four seven you got ruben fathery who's number 92 mm-hmm. uh you got matthew wyckoff who's number 438 is a guy who a lot of people think could really grow into being uh, a guy who overperforms that role mm-hmm. like you've got a bunch of kids coming in now where look at the end of the day you only got to start five of them right <laughs> like only five of these guys on your roster have to work out. And with the way that they've recruited the past two or three years, like, it's funny. I think we could be looking back in a couple of years and saying, and, and kind of say, this was a really good line, but this was only the beginning. This was yeah. only the first evolution of this line. And, you know, the, the flip side is obviously like, I think Bryce Foster could be gone after three years, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's that's sort of the flip side, but I think that you're going to have so much talent there that that they're going to have a chance to be really, really good there. And if you watch Jimbo Fisher offenses, right, like with that great offensive line, it's not like they were doing Alabama things. It's not what they're asked to do, right? right. But Kellen Mond, you know, over 2,200 yards, completed a career-high 63% of his passes, 19 touchdowns, and the real kicker is only three interceptions, right? He was mm-hmm. able to do his thing. And – like you mentioned, they're, they're going to probably take a step back at least just for 2021. Uh, we think they'll be still a very competitive team. I'm not saying they're going to miss a bowl or anything, but right. you know, they lose four starters on the offensive line. They lose their quarterback, but you know, they're going to have some really good kids coming up too. They're going to have uh, Haynes King or Eli Stowers or Zach Galsada have a chance to start next year. Um, you've still got Isaiah Spiller in the backfield. They're going to have a chance in a couple of years, again, to, to have a really, really, really special line. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you're trying to build a program in the SEC, if you have a chance to win in the trenches, which I think the Texas A&M has proven that they do on both sides of the ball, mm-hmm. that's going to give you staying power. 100%. And I think that, you know, you know, to mention, you know, they're going to miss Carson Green, right? They're going to miss mm-hmm. a lot of these guys. They're going to miss Jared Hawker. They're going to miss, I'm trying to think of one more, uh, Ryan McCollum at center, right? Huge. Dan Moore is the other. Yeah. yeah, Dan Moore's right. They're going to miss those guys. But, like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Layden Robinson gets better. Blake Trainer gets better. Obviously, we have Kenyon Green anchoring there. Like, that helps and makes it easier to fill out around him. Um, 
I think Layden Robinson had about 40 snaps or something this year, but he, you know, he looked pretty okay. Like, I think that's a promising, that was a promising uh, showing we saw from him. That's just two freshmen right there. That's, you know, that are probably going to be entrusted with um, a lot of snaps early on that, you know, there's going to be some growing pains in the first couple of games next year. Right. If, especially if these guys are the ones that are going to be the nailed on starters, but I trust from what we've seen from the development of guys like Carson Green and Ryan McCollum and all these, all these experienced guys that are graduating. I trust the development to where, you know, if it's not 2021, then damn it, 2022 is going to be pretty damn good for that team. Um, I think we all acknowledge that there's going to be some hurdles to come with this year in general, not just along the offensive line, but we mentioned with quarterback, with um, a lot of the defense as well, the front seven on the defense, on the defensive side. Um, it's going to be a lot of growing pains, but I, I trust that, there is this foundation now that they can develop elite offensive line talent. And now you're obviously starting to get reinforced with guys like, you know, you mentioned with Bryce, Bryce Foster and Ruben Fathery coming into the fold who, you know, I don't think it's weird to say that to maybe predict that Bryce Foster becomes another Kenyon green type where he comes in and he's like, Oh, this guy's the best guard right now. Put him there. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I, and we have to, we have to also mention too, it's been, a couple of years at this point since a Matthews was drafted from Texas A&M in the first round. So uh, watch out for Luke Matthews. He's coming for it. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) All right. What's next? All right. So this one is a little bit of a, I don't say a double-edged sword is the wrong word. Let's just get to it. UTEP. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In general, not even offense, not defense, kind of a mixture of both a mixture of quarterback play overall. I was really worried at the beginning of the year where UTEP's trajectory is going to be. Now we spoke about our frustration since then with some coordinator moves and some staff decisions, but based off 2020 alone, I think UTEP's step forward in a lot of different situations was a big surprise for me because I didn't, I don't think I expected to see, to see it turn out as obvious as it did. And as obviously well as it did. Um, I thought last year, you know, we had to crunch numbers and be like, ah, UTEP, you know, there's some, there's some stuff here that they could work with and kind of create our own optimism for them. But, and I kind of saw that coming this year again, I thought it would be more of that where it's like, ah, you know, they won one or two games and oh, okay. You know, they kind of, they were in this one kind of sort of the defense looked okay. I mean, they won three games. They looked pretty damn good in all, but probably just one. And yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, I see a lot more positives looking forward for this program's trajectory. No question. And here's the thing that I think impressed me the most. I thought that they really transformed their offense. Yes. You know, at, at one point, it sort of looked like, okay, you know, Dana Dimmel's going to come in here and he's going to run the, you know, run the, hey, Kansas State, let's just run our quarterback into the line over and over again offense. And right? trust me, that's that's what he did the first couple of years. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is interesting now because, and, you know, we, we don't obviously know for certain, but it does look like it was very much a personnel decision, you mm-hmm. know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that Kyle Loxley, they didn't necessarily trust him throwing the ball 35 times a game. Um, and, you know, now they have a guy there in, in Gavin Hardison who – I think, you know, he, he showed a lot of flashes this year. You saw the big arm. You saw flashes of decision-making. You saw flashes of accuracy. Um, and he's not a finished product yet by any means. I mean, there's sure. there's a lot of work to do, obviously. But uh, but you saw how different it could look when you have that. Because 
that is kind of the funny thing about uh, Dimmel's Kansas State offenses, right? Is that they were spread offenses. They were right. just they were just made differently because they just of... ran a fullback at quarterback because Bill <laughs> Snyder didn't want to didn't want to recruit a quarterback. <laughs> exactly. Like, we got a tight end on the team, <laughs> <laughs> and so now I think you're in an interesting position where where I think that you've proven that you know we can run some up-tempo offense at times we can mm-hmm. run uh some deep ball offense at times we can run some spread concepts at times and you know this was this was something that i wrote uh we, we have a we have a, sort of a state of the program piece on utep that actually just went up today at textfootball.com you know one thing that i wrote about was that for the first time since i've been covering the team right which i came here in 2018 it feels like UTEP has like legit stars. Mm-hmm. If And on top of that, it feels like for the first time, again, since I've been here, it feels like they have guys who could start on other teams, on like yeah. a lot of other teams in the state, right? Because, I mean, <laughs> look, God bless them. But, you know, that uh, that first 1-11 team under Dan Dimmel, um, you know, that lost 30-10 to to, <laughs> to Northern Arizona in his first game, <laughs> I mean, was there a single guy on that team who would play somewhere else? I don't know. Like you're talking, you're yeah, talking maybe no. Quadras, uh, Quadras Wadley. Like that's maybe yeah, the one that's guy. Pretty much it. Yeah, but now Jacob Cowling, I think, could play anywhere. Um, you know, Deion Hankins, I think, could get in the rotation anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Praise Amawule. Dr- yeah, I was about to say praise Amawule. Uh, Deron Lowe, I think, yeah, probably yeah. could play anywhere. Like right. these are guys who are making plays, and I, I'm glad you brought up Jacob Cowling in particular because mm-hmm. you know last year. In 2019, we looked at him. We're like, this guy's doing stuff, right? Like, it wasn't a lot, and he didn't, you know, he didn't have that like consistent season. He didn't. He finally started getting game time towards the end of the year. But we were like, is this guy like potentially really good? Like, we kept right. seeing flashes of him come up, and it's like, you know, the offense they had and the quarterback they had throwing the ball wasn't consistent. So I was like, I, I don't know. Is it just like flash in the pan stuff? And this year, he became a damn good wide receiver as a sophomore. And it was like, okay, here's where. Here's what we thought we saw last year, right? right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little upset that, you know, Justin Garrett is, is a senior because, you know, I would love to see what they had, is it, you know, another year together. Um, I don't know if he's coming back or not. I probably, I don't know about I'd have to check eligibility on anymore. Um, yeah, this this whole season threw everything into a whack. But no doubt, no doubt. Regardless, if he's not there, I would have loved to have seen their their uh, tandem develop because, man, when Jacob Cowling was hitting, he was hitting. And it, right. it, it started to become like, you started to realize, like you mentioned, that they were having stars emerge, right? Deion Hankins, we knew we knew about Deion Hankins before he really started uh, to get going, but we saw that inkling of Jacob Cowing, and I was talking to somebody on staff last year, and I was like, this kid's got something, right? And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. Like, they were over the moon about what he could potentially do after, like, again, two, three games of, like, semi-decent production, but you saw it when you watched those games. You're like, why isn't that guy getting the ball more? And <laughs> this year they were just like, yeah, just get him the ball. <laughs> right, right. And same deal with Deion Hankins. You know, we were kind of waiting for him to to have his turn in the spotlight, I guess. And he showed us what we thought that they might. And so now it, it is really interesting, right? Because I especially look at the offensive side of this coaching staff. I don't think that we would describe ourselves as the most excited about the Dave Warner hire. <laughs> But that said, I think that you've got some interesting other guys on this coaching staff, right? Like I think that uh, I think that Barrick Neely, you know, is a guy who 
we were surprised it took this long for him to get an on-field role. You know, Scotty O'Hara. Yeah. I, I think that he's done a really good job with the wide receivers. Uh, you know, and, and same deal with Jake Waters, right? He's a young guy who's been around the program who we're pretty excited about. And so, I don't know. There's there's something there, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what. And on <laughs> top of that, we're going to be relying on Dave Warner, Dana Dimmel, and and Bradley Joe uh, Pavetto to, to get it out of them but yeah. i really do think that there's something there and look the other thing that i'll say too is that they have a very favorable schedule next year mm-hmm. and i think that that's going to give them a chance to to potentially you know have a chance to to put some wins together because this was what i kind of said at the end of the day in my utf state of the program piece was that i don't think that being competitive is good enough anymore Right. Sure. We're, we're heading into year four. <laughs> it, like, I know the situation and all that sort of stuff, right, that that they were in when when Dana Dimmel got there. But I think we're at the point now where we're past this, right? Like, where we're not excited about getting multiple wins when some of them are against FCS teams. Right. I, I think we're past right. that. Mm-hmm. And so in the first uh, in the first four non-conference games next year, right, they go at New Mexico State, very winnable. Bethune Cookman, obviously you better win that game <laughs> at Boise State. Okay, you know, sure. Uh, and then you play versus New yeah. Mexico. So like, that's th- that should be three and one, yeah. right? Like that should yeah. be three and one. Nobody expects you to beat Boise, right? Nobody expects you right, to right. Boise. No one. Yeah, we're not. We're not. A, you know, we're not casting insane expectations here. Right. But then the next two weeks as well, you go versus Old Dominion, who didn't play football last year, and mm-hmm. that'll be, uh, I imagine, Ricky Ronnie's first game as a head coach in Conference USA, right? So. Mm-hmm. That's a very winnable game. You go at Southern Miss. Southern Miss is usually a very good team, but they have a new coach. They're going to be running a new system with Will Hall. That's. I'm, I'm not saying that you should that you should win that game, but mm. I think it's winnable, right? I think that sure. there's definitely a shot. And then you know, then things get a little tougher. Louisiana Tech at FAU, UTSA at North Texas, Rice at UAB, right? Like maybe you try to get one of those. I mean. Look, I'm not saying that they have to like win five games or make a bowl or anything like that, but sure. No, you I, mentioned it. Like the the moral victories are over, right? Yeah. That that that's all we're saying with the schedule is okay. Let's start to see the win column fill up. <laughs> I uh, this is um, this probably is going to sound meaner than I intended to, but <laughs> we're going to start treating UTEP like they're a real football team next year, right? <laughs> we're going right. to start treating them like we treat North Texas, like right. we treat UTSA, like we treat Rice and Texas State, right? Like, Which means there is room to be, we're, we're setting our, we're basically saying you are at a place where you can, you can disappoint us. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'll right. put it this right. way. UTEP could not have disappointed me the past couple of years. Sure. Sure. Because we did not expect that much of where they were at the time. Right. They are now in a spot to where you can have expectations that can be disappointed. <laughs> and <laughs> that is honestly the biggest uh, endorsement so far of the Daniel Dimmel era, because when he took over, I had no expectations for UTEP right. as a program. Right, right. So this is the year, man. Let's let's make it happen. Let's do something fun. Uh, okay, let's, let's, let's close with this. Let's close with this, okay? Yeah. Give me one thing. It can be a player. It can be a team. It can be a game. One thing, we'll do the Marie Kondo thing. One thing that gave you joy last year. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. One thing that gave me joy. 
you have one in mind? I'm so on, on the <laughs> No, I'm also trying to think. Oh, we okay. did not prep this before. before yeah, the show. yeah, we didn't. This is a bit off the off the dome right now. Uh, yeah. One thing that gave me joy. You know what? Watching Kellen Mond quarterback an A and M team. Yeah. That contended for a playoff spot. Yeah. That legitimately gave me joy because obviously over the summer he stuck his neck out to stand up for a lot of things that to a lot of people were controversial, you know, not myself. I didn't think they were controversial, but you know, a lot of people did in a situation where he knew that he already was not loved. And for him to come out, arguably have one of his best seasons, probably his best season and keep A&M in conversation for a playoff spot genuinely gave me joy because it didn't start off great, right? That Vanderbilt game was bad. <laughs> it was a bad game and a bad performance from him. And it, it, it really, and then of course, if Alabama came up and it was like, Oh God, like, here we go again. And I'm just going to disappoint. But after that point, like something switched and he really showed why Jimbo Fisher stuck with him this long because yeah. Jimbo Fisher is the type of coach with the type of pull to where he could have gotten any quarterback transfer he wanted to if he didn't think Kellen Mond was the guy. And AM is big enough to where they could attract any any transfer if he didn't, th- you know, if we just saw who's the guy who went to Mississippi State, uh, KJ Costello, right? They could have brought in KJ Costello from Stanford and be like, yeah, I run this offense, right? They didn't. They said, we have Kellen Mond. We like Kellen Mond. This offense is very complicated. And Jimbo Fisher is a very hard pl- uh, coach to, to play for. And he was, in a lot of ways, his career was validated because you could argue, like, there are a lot of people like, oh, any quarterback could have done it. Could they? I don't think so. Like, I really don't think so. Right. You know, he won that Florida game, mm-hmm. right? He won, mm-hmm. He's the one that beat, he's the reason they beat Florida. And I don't know. That was, that was, that's, that's the thing that stands out to me is this past season, watching that happen and, and being like, thank you. Like, you know, here we are on Kellen Mond Island, right. Saying, no, trust <laughs> us. He's good, please. Right. And here he is, you know, putting them on the brink of a playoff berth. I'll actually go a little bit of a similar direction. Uh, it was really fun to watch the rest of the country catch up with us and realize who Jalen Darden is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was one of those things that halfway through the year, we're like, man, did you see him, you know, against, uh, yeah. against all these teams uh, and Being all the, the sudden- drum saying, Hey guys, Devonte Smith's the only other guy doing right. this. <laughs> right. Like he's doing Devonte Smith things. Right. And, and all of a sudden slowly, but surely it kept coming along and, you know, eventually, obviously he ends up being a first team all American, a lot of places, you know, a lot of people yeah. uh, kind of gave him the respect because that's one of the things is when you put up numbers like that in conference USA, it's really easy for people to write it off for people to kind of say this, this wasn't real. This, you know, this is against nobodies and you play in this pass happy offense that completed 54% of its passes. Like, you know, this was, this was just system stuff, right. Especially because you had guys like uh, Mason fine and Rico Bussey who were stars before that, but it was really special to kind of see people have a chance to realize that this is real. And actually I'll throw one more at you because mentioning uh, North Texas in the games that they played made me remember Bailey Zappi. Yeah, man. That that Whew. was same deal, same deal. Watching the rest of the country realize that this dude has been a flamethrower for three years now at this point. And 
you know, we're, I am obviously very sad that Western Kentucky uh, ended up taking basically the entire Houston Baptist offense from us, but, uh, but man, I'm excited to see them try and do it at the FBS level too. And, and I think that with Zach Kitley there with, with obviously Bailey Zappi there and the Stearns brothers and now Ben Rastleff is heading there too. I mean, they, they're going to have a chance to be really, really special next year. Yeah. I, I, I keep forgetting that. Like I keep forgetting that just like Western Kentucky just picked up the offense and just said, yep, yeah, you're coming with us. Like, we, like, yeah, I'll take that. Bowling yeah. We'll take all of that. Like, Oh, both. St- you want one Stearns or two Stearns brothers. You want the quarterback <laughs> coach and the offensive court. Okay, sure. Let's all go here. Like, yeah, I, I, I will say I, I am happy if they had to go somewhere. I am happy that they're in Conference USA because yeah. we can actually see them as many times as we can, as we sure. want to, while also keeping up with other teams in our coverage area. Because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just go out. You know, if you went, if they went to like Central Michigan, I would have been upset. Right? Yeah, like, that come sucked. on, like that would have been garbage. But they're staying, in, they're staying uh, in the the coverage area at least yeah. in the footprints. Yeah, yeah, and so we'll. We'll be able to keep track on them. That was I, that's yeah. a good that's a good one. I like that. I like that one too. Yeah, I, and I will say right, like there was definitely when it all happened. I was like, man, why didn't a Texas school do that? And yeah. I guess just at the end of it, there wasn't a school like unless maybe UTEP wanted to try it. Like there wasn't a school that was kind of I guess like prepared to just do that to sort of say right. the offense that we have is not good. We're gonna throw it into the ocean, <laughs> you know, quite literally just say yes, <laughs> just spoof it all and just like nope, away yeah. with which, you. Which by the way, by the way, Tyson Helton was a freaking offensive coordinator. Like he's right. just like he's just like don't listen to me, man. I, <laughs> right. I None of what I said has worked. Right. This has been a disaster. Like, how many how many programs in the country can you kind of just be like yeah we're just gonna literally start all over like i guess right. i guess at the power five level like maybe baylor could have done that because they kind yeah. of threw everything away but like that was you know i mean in complete fairness right like bailey zappy <laughs> jumping up to the big 12 that would have been a big jump um sure, sure. you know that's a big chance to take to give your entire offense yeah. to to that group but man it's just Oh, it's going to be really fun to watch. I can't wait to watch them play again. So Definitely. I think another, uh, the, the other thing that I just thought of now was um, South, the Southland's kind of an odd pipeline for conference USA. Cause you know, Tim Cramsey's Marshall's offensive coordinator, right? Former, mm-hmm. formerly of Sam Houston state. How about that? Like I, I just, I just randomly thought of that and I was like, yeah, they're, why are they just plucking Southland coaches to the, <laughs> to the CUSA? <laughs> Listen, man, you see, uh, you see Phil Longa go and do some stuff. You see Willie Fritz go do some yeah. stuff. I mean, there's, there's something there, man. I, I don't know. That's it's going to be fun. I, I do have to say this isn't related to this. Uh, I did see some preseason uh, national championship odds for FCS. Sam Houston at 16 to one, the ninth best odds. So really interesting Vegas, Vegas thinks that they're going to turn it around. It's oh man. Sam Houston's been such a frustrating team these past couple of years, because like it's just been injury after injury after injury. And the defense Mm -hmm. has been amazing, but the offense just had crazy quarterback injuries. So I really do hope that they have a chance to put it all together. Same. So anyway, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, like I said, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's text football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. You can become a subscriber, which really helps us out at textfootball.com slash subscribe. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan J. Raja. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will be back with you guys again next week.